Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. Hope you enjoy. Hello, welcome to This Day in History class where we dust off a little piece of history every day. The day was June 14, 1846. Tensions had been rising between Mexicans and Americans in California, and Americans had been organizing to prepare for rebellion against the Mexican government. So on this day, a group of more than 30 Americans invaded Sonoma, a Mexican outpost north of San Francisco. After capturing Sonoma, the rebels declared California an independent republic and raised the bear flag, a flag with a white background, the words California Republic at the bottom, a red star, and a drawing of a grizzly bear. The California Republic only lasted for about three weeks. In 1846, California, then known as Alta California, was part of Mexico. Alta California was a territory that included the present-day states of California, Nevada, Utah, and parts of Arizona, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Colorado. For years, Americans and other non-Mexican nationals had been moving to Alta California. The non-Mexican immigrants often clashed with Mexican residents and Mexican government officials. Americans and other non-Mexicans were distrustful of Mexican authority, and Mexican leaders were fearful that the Americans would ignore Mexican authority and demand Alta California be annexed to the United States. Many of the foreigners who moved to Alta California moved to the Sonoma-Napa area or north of Sutter's Fort, near present-day Sacramento. But most of them did not get land grants from the Mexican government. In April of 1846, Commanding General Jose Castro said that any foreigners who were not naturalized as Mexicans who had purchased or acquired land could be expelled from Mexico, and the transaction could be deemed null and void. Word went around that this rule would be enforced and that Native Americans had been told to destroy foreigners' crops, and there were rumors of war between Mexico and the United States. In fact, on May 13, 1846, U.S. Congress voted to approve a declaration of war against Mexico. But this news did not reach Alta California until a couple of months later. Pio Pico, the Mexican governor from 1845 to 1846, viewed Americans as intruders and wanted them sent out of California. General Mariano Vallejo, who was a fan of Americans and thought that California should be in the hands of the United States, was more sympathetic to the Americans. But in 1846, U.S. Captain John C. Fremont and a small mapping expedition were in California. Fremont was a lieutenant of engineers in the Army Topographical Service. But on this trip, he was also encouraging rebellion. It's not clear whether this was an order handed down to him. Regardless, Fremont was headquartered at Sutter's Fort in Sacramento Valley, and from there, he convinced a group of immigrants and Californios, or Spanish-speaking people native to California, to rebel against Mexican rule in Alta California. Once Castro issued his proclamation to send foreigners out of Alta California, 
Fremont did not agree to send U.S. forces to assist the American immigrants, but he did agree to stay and advise anyone who wanted to put up a fight against Mexican authorities, and he encouraged resistance. In early June of 1846, a group of rebels allegedly stole horses that were being sent to Castro. The horses were supposedly going to be used to drive foreigners out of Alta California. And on June 14, 1846, a group of more than 30 of the rebels, led by William Ide and Ezekiel Merritt, reached Sonoma around dawn to take control of the town. Sonoma was not garrisoned, but retired Mexican General Mariana Vallejo lived there, and the rebels proceeded to his home to take him as a prisoner of war. Since Vallejo supported American annexation of California, negotiations were initially cordial. But the rebels thought Vallejo may unite fighting Mexican factions against them. They took Vallejo as prisoner and transported him to Sutter's Fort in what is now Sacramento. Within the next few days, the rebels created the Bear Flag, declaring an independent California republic. The men who took part in the revolt became known as the Bear Flaggers. The Bear Flag Revolt was short-lived. On July 7th, U.S. Navy forces under Commodore John D. Sloat invaded California and captured Monterey, raising the U.S. flag over California. The Bear Flagger's mission was basically accomplished. The Bear Flag was taken down at Sonoma two days later. In 1848, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo ended the Mexican-American War when Mexico ceded California and recognized the Rio Grande and Gila River as the border between the U.S. and Mexico. And in 1850, California joined the Union. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Get more notes from history on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at podcast. But if you haven't yet gotten your fill of history, you can listen to a podcast that I host called Unpopular. Unpopular is about people in history who rebelled and were sometimes persecuted for it. You can listen anywhere you listen to This Day in History class. Thanks again for being here, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hey everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast that flips through the book of history and tears out a page every single day. The day was June 14, 1872. Parliament passed the Trade Unions Act in Canada, legalizing unions. Laborers in Canada have been striking for better living and working conditions for decades by the time the act was passed. In the mid-19th century, industrial workers labored 10 to 12 hours a day, six days a week. Unions were growing and spreading, but they were not legally recognized. Strikes were illegal, and unionists could be charged with crimes including conspiracy and sedition. Some strikes incited progress, but many were unsuccessful. Railway workers, printers, and shoemakers were some of the people who struck for shorter workdays in the 1800s. Printers formed the Toronto Typographical Union in the 1840s. They kept up with politics across North America and in Britain. They were aware of workers' movements happening in the United States in the mid-1800s, as they rallied and petitioned for better conditions. 
In August of 1871, news of a strike in Newcastle, England, over reduced working hours made its way to Canada. Canadian workers were encouraged by the strike in England and by the immigrant workers who moved from England to Canada in 1871. In January of 1872, an international effort known as the Nine Hour Movement began in Hamilton, Ontario. Skilled and unskilled workers gathered to form the Nine Hour League, an organization that sought a nine hour workday through collective protests and strikes. The demand for the nine-hour day soon spread to groups in Montreal, as well as Toronto and other towns in Ontario. It also emerged in places as far as Halifax, but the movement in these places operated relatively independently from the movements in Ontario and Quebec. The movement gained a lot of support and saw meetings that sometimes involved hundreds of people. But that's not to say there weren't divisions and hostilities within the movement. Racism, sexism, prejudices against unskilled workers, and religious hostilities all affected the workers involved. And it was hard to coordinate a movement that was growing so rapidly. But some people did emerge as leaders in the movement, including printer J.S. Williams, Cooper John Hewitt, engineer James Ryan, and railway mechanic James Black. They helped establish local nine-hour chapters, worked to develop coordinated strategies, and helped build connections across Canada. The Toronto Typographical Union passed a motion in favor of a 55-hour workweek and formed a strike committee. It also petitioned Toronto's newspaper owners for nine-hour days. Their demands weren't met, and the printers went on strike on March 25th. The strike made headlines and garnered support and opposition. In April, around 10,000 people marched in Toronto in support of the nine-hour movement. George Brown, owner of the newspaper The Globe and the Master Printers Association that he had organized, went up against the demonstrators. But Prime Minister John A. Macdonald introduced legislation to legalize unions. The Trade Unions Act, passed into law on June 14th, was modeled on British legislation that had passed in 1871. The act said that unions would not be considered associations that obstructed trade. The right to strike was recognized, but picketing remained a criminal offense. The nine-hour movement proved largely unsuccessful due to a lack of coordination, employer hostility, waning prosperity in Canada, and divisions within the working class. But the legalization of unions was a win for the movement. In 1873, the Canadian Labor Union was formed. Throughout the next couple of decades, Canadian workers organized more trade unions and participated in more strikes. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them to us via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. You can also hit us up on social media at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.